Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome to Lit, everybody. I have a special guest with me today, the Right Reverend Hector Monteroso, Bishop Assistant in the Episcopal Diocese of Texas. And today he is, and we're going to refer to him as Bishop Monteroso for the rest of this conversation. Bishop, it's good to be with you today. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Justin. It's great to be here and to uh, to talk to you, to talk with you about uh, different things. Well, I appreciate that. And today, folks, we are going to pick up in our series, as you probably remember the last several episodes, we've been talking about the ordination uh, or the various orders of ministry. We, we had uh, Becky Sparks on uh, talking about the diaconate. We had Francine Young talking about the priesthood. And now Bishop Monteroso to kind of talk to us a little bit about um, the ordination of a bishop and what that looks like. And to get started, Bishop, if, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your call to ministry? I think people will find that uh, most fascinating. Oh, thank you for asking asking me this question. Um, I grew up in Guatemala. I am Guatemalan, and I am a Costa Rican too because I lived in Costa Rica for 14 years before moving to Texas. I think, uh, uh, as far as I can remember, I I start my ministry. I started my ministry as acolyte in uh, in many years ago. Uh, uh, a priest from uh, Texas, uh, uh, originally from Mexico, but working in Texas, he came to visit our neighborhood in, in Guatemala, and he was planting an, uh, a new church, uh, the Episcopal Church. And he invites uh, my family to participate in a program. My mother worked uh, in a cloak business, and uh, the priest invite my mother to lead uh, to be part of this ministry, uh, supporting uh, single mothers uh, and teaching how to sew. And uh, my mother accepted that call and she uh, and she moved to the Episcopal Church loving this ministry. And we moved the whole family. Later, we, we bought a new house in a different neighborhood. And uh, that priest invites us to use our home as a place to plant a church in our living room. And I remember that because I serve as acolyte in the living room in my home. And I think that was my first call, maybe. I am not sure. We are not sure every, we can, I think in my ministry, I cannot identify just one moment uh, in what God's called me, God called me, calls me to do uh, this ministry. Uh, I was ordained, I was um, looking for the ordained ministry in my life. And, uh, but not many opportunities. In Guatemala, we had no seminary, and the only opportunity to, to be ordained and to get uh, theological studies in the Episcopal Church was here in the United States. It was difficult. But working in my profession, uh, the seminary opens in Guatemala, and that was my opportunity. I worked for a rum distillery company, and uh, uh, afterwards, 
every day from 6 p.m. through 10 at night for years. That was my opportunity to receive training and formation in the Episcopal Seminary in Guatemala. And that was part of my background, I think, yeah, working uh, full time, but attending seminary uh, afterwards. So let me get this right. You were working at a rum distillery. Yes. And then you went for formation. What a perfect Episcopalian <laughs> formation that is, right? We make these jokes all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I am a mechanical. Uh, uh, my formation is in precision mechanics. And I worked uh, in that company for uh, almost uh, eight years. And uh, yes, we produce one of the best rums in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, That's good uh, to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I should say, uh, folks, that one of the things that Bishop Monterosso just reminded me of that Brent and I don't think have said that I'll say now is that just because we're ordained priest bishops or deacons doesn't mean uh, that we weren't possibly in another profession before this. I, for example, had a minor stint at SunTrust Bank uh, doing risk management work with them because I'm actually not, and this is true of a lot of clergy, I didn't, I didn't in college or in my undergraduate uh, programs take uh, religion classes. I actually majored in business, uh, and that's my background. And then I went to seminary, as the bishop described, not from six to 10 at night, but uh, had similar, uh, the exact same formation. So I, I'm thank you for saying that, Bishop Monterosa. We've been so zero focused on the ordination that I think um, sometimes we forget that, that we, we are humans who have a story and a journey mm. and multiple calls. And I really appreciate that. Um, uh, now, this is more specific. Um, so you, 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 you had this formation, you went into the ordained ministry. I'm assuming you were, uh, did you work in Guatemala? Was that where your first parish was or your first uh, call as a priest was mm -hmm. in Guatemala? Yes. Now, what, how, how in the world, who twisted your arm to become a bishop, to, 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 re to receive that call and to, to do that? Yeah. Uh, yes, I think... Um, I never thought to become a bishop to, to receive that call. Yeah, you know, uh, I was working in Guatemala uh, as a priest, as a parish priest. But later, I was called to work to work in the Episcopal Church as a, we call general secretary for uh, for nine provinces in Latin America, and I served in that position uh, several years. And I went to visit many times Costa Rica the church where I, I received the call to be the uh, bishop. And uh, many times I spoke against that diocese, that diocese in Costa Rica, because nothing happened really there. Yeah, For many years, they have no ordinations. And uh, in my reports, in, in, in my work in, in as a general secretary, I spoke... Uh, it's necessary to do something there, yeah? And years later, um, the Bishop of Costa Rica passed away and the diocese started the process to searching a bishop. Uh, I had no interest, but one of the bishops in Central America invited me to put my name to, um, uh, 
in the in the Costa Rican canons, it's necessary to have five candidates to proceed the election, and they had no five; they had three or four, and they failed in the election. But they invite me to put my name to complete the list of candidates. <laughs> yeah, and I did because I was sure no chance for me to win because I was very comfortable living in Guatemala and doing my work. And I put my name, but I won. Yeah, I won the election. I think nobody twists my arm or, yeah, uh, I think the Bishop of El Salvador invited me to put my name and I did. But sometimes the Holy Spirit works in different ways. We know that, yeah. And I think that was the way the Holy Spirit worked in my life. And I accept that call, the call. And I was elected there in Costa Rica. And it was a big diff, a big change for, for me and for my family because we live in a different country. But um, I think it was a great experience, yeah? Learning to be a bishop in a different country, in a different context. Same language, but uh, different challenges. And that, I think that is my experience, my call. And I really appreciate you saying that because last couple of weeks, um, we, we were talking about that very thing. And Francine and Becky and Brent and I both talked about that, that there was usually a nudge um, from somebody else that we kind of responded to. Um, and and I appreciate that. Um, and I and I, I'm glad you shared that because I I know we had a couple of listeners who were really curious if okay I get this whole becoming uh, being ordained a deacon I kind of get this whole or you know ordination of the priesthood but gosh those bishops why would you want to be a bishop <laughs> you know and I was I was like well that's a great question we'll just ask you know we'll just ask that question so I appreciate that because again. The one thing we've been we've been kind of teaching and saying as our prayer book states is we're just we're, we're called into a ministry, but we're still all ministers in some order, whether it be the lay order, the diaconate, the priesthood, or the bishops. And together we're the church. It's not one is more than the other. It's just we each have specific roles. Now, what would you say, Bishop, um, is the most what do you say, or not so much for you, but just the the office of bishop? Uh, what what is what does that? What do bishops embody in the life of the church? What do they embody? I think uh, we have a uh, many different roles, but and it depends a lot of the in the context. But I think the main the main one is to have a clear vision of where the church should go and transmit that vision with different leaders of the diocese. Yeah, I think that is very important. It's important for us as bishops to have a clear vision on how we can lead the church. Sometimes the vision is to grow. Sometimes the vision is to extend our ministry in different areas. Um, but I think that is very important. Yeah. You know, I remember a kid a kid in, 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 in one of our churches, when I explained about vision, he, he gave me some example. And he said, uh, I asked him how you can exemplify uh, to have a vision. And that, that kid, he said, ah, 
It's like when we are in a bus stop and the bus is coming. Mm -hmm. And what is the first thing we, we watch? We can see in the bus to take that bus. And he said, destination. If the bus has no destination uh, uh, signal, we are not taking that bus. And that is true, yeah? If, if, if no destination, if, when we have no clear destination, we are not uh, taking that transportation. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think the most important part of our ministry as bishops is to create that vision, to invite people to join us and to lead the process to get there. Uh, and, and I think that is the main uh, uh, important part of our ministry in my, in my own uh, idea. Mm -hmm. And if I may ask a follow-up question, when you're really listening and creating that vision, are there others with you in that process or is it your own prayer and discernment? What does that kind of look like? I think it's, it's, uh, we have more, it's, it's a combination of uh, as you are describing. It's a combination of prayers. It's a combination of identify the needs in the context, in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of uh, conversation with more people. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a, it's a question about uh, outside, like uh, what we have, what are we offering to the community or the, or the, the, or the people that the world is not offering to them? Yeah, it's creating a vision is, is a combination of conversation, reflection, prayer, uh, identifying the needs of the, of the community and uh, identifying our gifts, how the Holy Spirit is providing us and equip us to do our ministry. Yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, Bishop Andy, um, so the, and we're going to come back to the difference in these mm -hmm. titles, the diocesan Bishop of Texas, uh, you know, recently I encouraged us and encouraged the diocese down the path of racial reconciliation. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming, uh, Bishop Monteroso, that is a, a great example of what you're talking about, because he kind of got up and really spearheaded that and really said, you know, here's here's where Jesus calls us down to the marginalized and the cast out. And this is where I think we need to go as a diocese. Is that fair? That's true. That's true. I think uh, it's a it's a, a, a big reflection. It's a, a understanding the needs of the moment and. Uh, inviting the people to join this uh, this vision, and that's true. Yeah, and I think this is a good segue to my next question, which takes us right, uh, folks. It's going to take us right into the examination of a bishop. And as you probably remember, when we were talking to Becky for the diaconate and Francine for the priesthood, we really zeroed in on the examination of these different orders of ministry. And there's a statement in the examination of a bishop. That says, you are called to guard the faith, unity, and discipline of the church, to celebrate and to provide for the administration of the sacraments of the new covenant. And I was wondering, Bishop Monterosa, what does that really mean to you and to your ministry as bishop? How do you interpret that? 
I think uh, my interpretation, it means an, an excellent opportunity of mission. Yeah, I think uh, mission and service. Yeah, uh, keeping faith, unity and discipline these days, for instance, means uh, being present with the churches during the pandemic, for instance. Yeah, uh, creating uh, spaces for conversation, reaching uh, agreements, and giving the the guidelines to support uh, uh, the members of the church uh, in the best possible way, and trying to stay together. I mean, chaos through prayer, technology, and collaboration. I think that uh, that question uh, uh, we can adapt that question or that answer in the in tech, in it depends of the context we are right now. Uh, in terms of the pandemic, it means a different thing, yeah, a different uh, meaning. And especially uh, trying to be uh, with the people, with the clergy, uh, trying to offer them possibilities to worship in different ways, uh, talking about what important is to, to continue our theological uh, teaching, and uh, trying to use, uh, uh, trying to, uh, share the communion in different ways, but at the same time, uh, continuing uh, understanding our doctrine and discipline in terms of communion. It's a, it's a, I think change, it changes, it changes depending on the context. Yeah, and we learn how to adapt uh, this call in the context of uh, the needs of the community. I, I'm glad you said that because I think and you said this throughout all our conversation to, to this point, which is perfect. And I want to pick up on this contextualized ministry. Uh, one of the things Bertie said in a prior episode, we were actually talking about apostolic succession, which I'll kind of tie, although I think we've touched on that, but I'll tie back into it. Just kind of let you speak to that a little bit. Um, is that the church has been evolving since the beginning. And I think it's hard sometimes for us to realize that, especially in the middle of this pandemic. I know as the rector of a church in Texas, and I know you as bishop, uh, and all the bishops that work uh, to support us in ministry in Texas have dealt with folks really struggling with the church changing. And I put this in air quotes. It's not really changing. Our context is evolving mm -hmm. and we're responding to our context. So I really appreciate you talking about that. And as our, as our pastor, uh, you know, as the role of bishop, as you as you said, you know, pastoring us in these contextual changes is so important. Um, and I know for me as a priest, I think I can speak for, well, I can speak for all the priests in the Diocese of Texas, but at least the ones I hang out with. One thing we have been truly thankful for is having your support, having your guiding us through the, uh, the faith, unity, and disciplines, obviously starting with Andy as the diocesan bishop, but then Kay and Jeff and you all, all doing that uh, support work and guiding us uh, and guarding the faith and teaching us and encouraging us to, 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 to teach our folks, to push our folks. And I really appreciate that because it is, you know, one of the things I think we've, if I may be so bold, uh, Bishop, that we've struggled with as a, as a church and you see it, I see it at the parish level and I'm sure you've seen it at the diocesan level. I think you kind of spoke to this in Costa Rica is sometimes we're really slow to embrace our context. We're really slow to embrace the mission field that lay around our church. 
And, and that can be very challenging. And then we, of course, know what oftentimes happens is the church, as they know it in that spot, may actually, uh, dare I say, die. But usually, oftentimes, something new is reborn. Um, mm-hmm. Or the church eventually comes around to embracing the contextual change and they take off and they start to, and they admit that it's hard. They admit that there's change. They, you know, and they start to dig into it. And I know at St. Luke's coming out of this pandemic, we are in the midst of that. The whole West side of Austin is completely different than it was even a year and a half ago. And we are having those conversations around what are we going to do? What does this look like? Uh, so I really appreciate you talking about context and how the bishop, the office of bishop helps the church embrace those uh, those contextual changes. Because um, I don't think we often think about that when we think about faith, unity, and discipline and that missional side of our ministry, which I know enough stories about your ministry that you, especially as it relates to soccer, uh, that you have had that experience of really contextualizing the church. Uh, and I appreciate that. So if I may now, and this, I, we can just speak to a few minutes uh, on this. Uh, I just kind of want to hear you talk a little bit about apostolic ministry and kind of how you understand that, uh, and how you participate in that. If you don't mind, I think that'd be kind of cool to, to kind of hear a Bishop talk about that. Um, some years ago, uh, a friend of mine gave me a picture uh, of the apostolic su- succession from which I came. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's not difficult to get through the web, through, uh, through the internet. Um, uh, and my name is in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the bottom of the list. Uh, apostolic succession is a direct connection with the gospel, I think, uh, with the disciples and with the apostles. We connect. Um, we connect through a visible sign, the laying on of hands, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, in my in my own experience, uh, being consecrated as bishop, um, three bishops who consecrated me. Laid, laid their hands on me and they received it from three others and so on until uh, we reached the apostles. It is something extraordinary. I believe that the apostolic ministry is also present in each of us when we act according to the gospel. Yeah, it's not just a, a sign, but it's an action. Yeah. It's an action when we uh, uh, when we act according to the gospel, we are connected with the apostles. Uh, when we repent or forgive and pray, when we repeat the Lord's Father, the the the, the Lord's Father prayer, we connect with the apostles in their desire to learn to pray and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I think many any any action in terms of our spiritual life, when we connect and we act uh, uh, through the gospel, we make that connection with the first community, 
with the Pentecost uh, movement, with the uh, Jesus teachings, and uh, uh, and I think that is an invitation. Yeah, sometimes we 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 when we hear apostolic uh, uh, ministry or succession, we think just in bishops or uh, um, ministers, but I think it's more than that. I think is everybody in 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 our churches as members of the church we are called and we uh when we act connected with the gospel through the holy spirit we are participating in the apostolic succession i appreciate that so as we kind of move to the latter part of our time, as I kind of wrap up, really focus on the on the office of bishop, I just thought it'd be fun for you to talk about bishop's attire, one, and then two, just real quick, as we've mentioned in this call, there's a diocesan bishop in Texas, then there's two suffragan bishops, and then there's bishop assisting, and there's also a fourth one known as assisting bishop. If you So maybe just, I'll let you just have fun with that. Whatever part of the attire, maybe the part that really speaks to the office of bishop and then kind of those differences in the different titled bishops. Okay. Uh, we bishops have many sim- symbols of signs. The purple shirt, uh, red purple or blue purple. Yeah, that is different color. It's, it's difficult to combine. I don't know why, but the purple color is different. And you know, uh, when uh, the blue purple, uh, uh, create some problems for me in Costa Rica, for instance. When I when I walk in downtown area, uh, people uh, people people call me in a different way because the most important soccer play soccer soccer team in San Jose, the capital of Costa Rica, they wear the purple the blue purple uh, jersey, and when I walk into the downtown with my purple shirt. The people start to say, "Go, Father! Go, Father!" Yeah, because they believe I was fan of that that team, but not necessarily. Uh, we have uh, the purple shirts. Uh, we have the bishop's ring, yeah, uh, with the logo of the diocese. We serve, and and that ring is a is a tool to seal to seal official documents of the church. We wear a pectoral cross and reminds us of the sacrifice and victory of Jesus over death at the same time. Uh, we were we have a pastoral vestment uh, that we use during the visitation, include Rochet and Chimir, or the Copa Mitre. But I believe that the main symbol of the bishops is the bishop is the crozier. Uh, it reminds us of the figure of the shepherd, our responsibility of not to lose any of our sheep. It is the one that I like the most personally. And today, during this interview, I remember a friend who is losing, is losing the battle against cancer, but gaining his space in eternal life, everlasting life. Ruben Hoffman, he made my crozier, my crozier from a precious wood from Costa Rica. Thank you for asking me this because that reminds me, uh, my friend, and uh, uh, and I'm praying for him. 
And we will pray for him as well. Thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful. So, oh, uh, so, so the bishops, the, the yes, four, yes, the four yes. kind of titles, and then we're going to yeah, jump yeah, into yeah. a bishop's <laughs> visitation and confirmation. Then we'll, we'll okay. round out. Okay, uh, we have the diocese, bishop diocesan, the chief, the chief pastor, and the the in charge of a diocese. And there's only one of those. Only one, only one bishop diocesan in each diocese. Diocese. We have a suffragan bishops. It's like a bishops who assist the diocesan bishop, and the suffragan need to be elected by the council or the convention. In some dioceses, we use convention. Uh, we have a bishop assistant in the Episcopal Church canons. We cannot elect more than three bishops in one diocese. That means one diocesan and two suffragans. This is the maximum to be elected. When a, when a diocese needs uh, more than three bishops, when we need a fourth bishop, that bishop uh, we call bishop assistant. And he's appointed. He's not elected, but he's appointed by the, the bishop diocesan with permission of the council. Uh, this is my case. I am a bishop assistant here. Not elected in Texas, elected in, and consecrated in Costa Rica, but accepted uh, the call here in the Diocese of Texas. And we have and we have bishop as uh, assisting bishops, and that is um, uh, when we need a bishop who is already retired or is not a full-time uh, job position, uh, that bishop can accept uh, uh, to support the diocese is doing some visitations every year. And real quick, in the House of Bishops, uh, and I could be wrong, so you're about to correct no. me. As bishop assistant, what voice and vote do you have in the House of Bishops? Uh, full. I have full. a full. Yes, yes. Big. Uh, when I when I resigned my job in Costa Rica, I was accepted in the House of Bishops of the Episcopal Church. It's a long process to do to be accepted. Yeah, it's a, it's a process described in the canons. But once once I receive. Uh, my recognizement as a member of the house, I have uh, I have fully uh, rights. Perfect. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, not all assisting bishops, ones who've retired, have vote in the House of Bishops. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about a bishop's visitation and confirmation uh, for our final part of our time together. So what usually happens during a bishop's visit? Yeah, I think one of, my, one of the tasks that I most enjoy is my ministry in visiting the churches, uh, church visitation. This diocese, this diocese is extensive. So every time I visit, I can meet new people. I can baptize. That is not my first uh, responsibility or duty, but I can. I confirm and I receive new members of the church and reaffirm people who believe they need to reaffirm their Christian commitment. Yeah, that means confirmation, reception, reaffirmation, sometimes baptism. Uh, the, bishop visitation, the bishop's visitation is an evangelistic event in the life of the parish, in the life of the church. Uh, I think it's important for our clergy to don't uh, miss that opportunity. We show, because we show people how to 
new members of the church promise to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Yeah, this is, I think that is very important. This is the, this is the main idea about when uh, our, uh, when we, uh, when we gather to, to celebrate baptism or confirmation, uh, we make that declaration. Yeah, we recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yeah, sometimes the people ask me questions in from different denominations, and they said, "Well, when are you doing your evangelistical work?" Yeah, and because you are not uh, declaring uh, uh, Jesus as, as your Savior and Lord. And I said, "Yes, we do, and we do every Sunday, but especially in in the baptism and confirmation, we uh, we we do this." And um, And uh, um, different things uh, happen in the administrative level, like uh, for instance, in one of the visitations, the visitations is necessary for the bishops to uh, to check the books, the books of the, the parish, the registration books. Uh, we meet with the vestry or the bishops committee, and in that meetings we uh, we can explore uh, the vision of the parish the plans and ministry and i think uh when uh, when we return to the new normal is is going to uh happen again to have a good meal yeah that is that is important tradition in the episcopal church and especially when the bishop is coming yeah in some of the churches uh they celebrate with a big cake that's what my, my mother and father would say. They always look forward to the bishop's visit, A, for the primary Eucharistic feast, and B, for the secondary feast that would always ensue, uh, because <laughs> we Episcopalians love to eat. Yeah, um, that's true. And I'm glad, you you know, we talked about this before, Bishop, in a prior episode. We talked about the baptismal covenant. And as we talk about confirmation here, one of the things I, I'm reminded of is the renewal of those that have that baptismal covenant. And mm-hmm. that is, uh, and thank you for putting it in an evangelistic light, because I think sometimes we, 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 and I say, we, I'm speaking in this broader, we, the church, we, the Episcopalians, we, the baptized Episcopalians, uh, sometimes forget what that covenant calls us to, which as you so eloquently said, takes us right back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Who is God? <laughs> Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy spirit? Confession of sins. And then we have really specific questions that we answer about how we're going to treat one another, how we're going to relate to one another, how we're going to follow in that apostolic witness you spoke so eloquently of a few minutes ago. And then to top it off, uh, generally, and we just had uh, Bishop K, Bishop Ryan came and just uh, just visited St. Luke's just on Pentecost, actually. What a perfect day for a bishop's visit on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And we had three folks, uh, two folks get confirmed and one get received from the Roman Catholic Church. So it's really powerful as you walk through that liturgy. We all participate uh, in renewal of our baptismal vows, and then it happens. The sacramental rite happens for these three people. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, what happens uh, at that point, and what the symbol of confirmation is? Yeah. I think for me, uh, the the I think it's a powerful uh, moment. 
It's a powerful moment. And uh, in many cases, uh, I think I, I, can, uh, I, I can think uh, in most of the cases in our churches, we prepare uh, very well uh, the candidates for confirmation. Yeah, uh, young people, adults, people from different, uh, denom- coming to the church from, from different denominations. And it's a powerful moment because uh, according to our tradition, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to strengthen, strengthen the, the gifts and skills everybody has. Yeah, and, uh, and through that moment, they are ready to serve the community in a practical way. Yeah, this, I think the confirmation and the Holy Spirit presence in our lives is an, a spiritual experience, but at the same time, call us to do something practical. Yeah, to, to do something uh, visible. Yeah, and something visible means the ministry of service. Yeah, we empower, we empower uh, the, the people to do service. Yeah, and this is that happened. The symbol of confirmation is the laying on of hands of the confirming and the words of the bishops invoking the Holy Spirit to strengthen and empower that person for Jesus' service. Um, and the power that this person has to, that, per, that person has is to serve uh, the community through uh, their gifts, through their gifts and abilities. Yeah, I think that is uh, it's a mom- it's an, a spiritual uh, moment, but at the same time, it's a call to wake up to a new uh, state of a stage of life, uh, uh, doing some practical uh, uh, things to be connected with the gospel and to be and to become an image of God in this world. That's perfect. And that's exactly um, uh, what it always feels like to me. Uh, and just for example, uh, the folks who were confirmed at St. Luke's already are trying to dive in uh, and, and live more fully into the community and participate in a way they haven't prior to this moment. And I always and, find that so, so powerful. And I think um, that visible action doing some, uh, some practical service in the community, empower uh, the people to, to present Jesus to the world. You know, uh, some, uh, some, uh, maybe two years ago, I participated in a confirmation service in one of our churches. And during the confirmation, I met people from uh, China, Russia, Iran, uh, Mexico, and United States, all candidates to be to be confirmed. And uh, I was very surprised because uh, all of these nationalities present in the church. And I asked them, how do you make a connection with the church? Yeah, how do you, how do you get here? And they told me, you know, we came here because the, this church is offering uh, English as a second language program. 
and they offer a good program with very uh, for free. And we came here looking for solve one of our big needs. But in the but in the way in the in the journey trying to learn English, we meet Jesus. Yeah, and we are here now. We came to trying to learn a language, and we learn about Jesus and His love, and that is the evangelistic component when we offer to the community something they are looking for. Yeah, and uh, when we resolve, when we act, when we through our skills uh, can provide uh, transformation, Jesus is there. That is so true. That is so true. And I know you've had that experience on more than one occasion in your your time as bishop and even in your own ministry prior to the ordination uh, to the bishop, uh, to the office of bishop. Well, Bishop Monteroso, I really appreciate, I think this is a great place to leave it at is because that is to me, and this is what Brennan and I were just talking about with the baptismal covenant a few episodes ago when we were talking about the sacrament of baptism. Uh, and I think that's perfect when we think about confirmation. I actually should pause here and say to all our listeners, if you're wondering or questioning or you've been baptized, you kind of want to talk more about confirmation, as we always say every episode, please reach out to Brennan and I. Uh, if you live in another part of the country, we have friends all over the world. Uh, we can get you connected with somebody in your local uh, your local community who can talk to you. And and uh, and it reminded me, and I and I'll say this that in two parishes ago, when I was serving a parish in Florida, I had one individual who always reaffirmed their faith every time the bishop came. And if you asked them why, it wasn't because they were doubting, which they and I would agree that. A lot of times when we have questions, doesn't mean we're doubting. That actually means we're growing. Um, it's because they wanted to be reminded of what you just talked about. They needed the reminder and they wanted to reclaim the missional aspect of their faith, the going out and being, uh, as Rowan Williams says in one of my favorite books, Where God Happens, be a place where God happens for somebody else, uh, which starts with the community. It starts with the individual. Less of pointing our fingers and judgment. And if we think of our baptismal covenant, which we recite in confirmation, it very much is that it's more about how we prepare ourselves so that we can be a conduit for, for God, for somebody else. And I think that's so important. Uh, and it, and it's, and confirmation is a powerful witness to that reality. Well, of course, before I let you go, Bishop, now I have to do what I do for every guest, which are the rapid fire questions. Just the fun little questions where you just give us the one word or short answer. Uh, and I'm going to start with something easy. What is your favorite sport? Uh, <laughs> soccer. Yeah. Who is your favorite? All right. This is, a, now this is you got to really listen to this question. Who is your favorite United States or what is your favorite United States major league soccer team? Uh, Dynamo. And now what is your favorite? It could be national, local to another country. What is your favorite team in the whole wide world? Uh, Brazil. The, Brazil. The, the, the national. Uh, the national. The, the national team of Brazil. Yes. Oh, I didn't expect you. I wouldn't ask that question, Bishop. I just don't know about that. I was going to invite you to my pickup soccer league when you come to Austin, but I don't know if you're going to say Brazil. If I can let you come, 
to that because I kind of like Argentina, but <laughs> we'll just leave that there. Uh, okay. Now, tell me this: what uh, what is the most beautiful thing about the Episcopal Church? The most beautiful thing about the Episcopal Church is we are uh, welcome to grow and to meet Jesus every Sunday, every day. And last question, what is the most hopeful sign for our future as a church that you see right now, that you start to see? What is our most hopeful sign for the future? Uh, diversity and multicultural presence in, in our church. Bishop, thank you so much for, for sharing so much time with me today and with our with our audience. We are so thankful for you and to you for being here today. Thank you very much. Folks, we will be back uh, next week as we continue our journey. We have a couple more episodes left to go in this season as we journey through the prayer book. So please join us and we will, uh, of course, send us questions if you have any questions. Again, Bishop Monterosso is the bishop assisting here in the Diocese of Texas, www.epicenter.org, if you want to learn more about the Episcopal Diocese of Texas. And as I said earlier, if you're somewhere else in the world or the, or the country, as I know our audience has spans a great deal of distance, please let us know and we'll get you connected uh, where you are. If you're more curious about your diocese or your local church, please reach out to us uh, and our emails can be found in the show notes below. So have a great, uh, great rest of your week, and we'll see you next week. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership.